Great to see you, friends. Always great to see you. A few weeks ago, our leadership team was meeting over in the conference room in the commons, which is normally what we do each week. Um, But during this particular meeting a few weeks ago, uh, there was this incredible interruption that happened. And all I can say is that there was just this loud screaming coming from our lobby. And I had no idea what it was. The only thing that I knew for sure that it was a man's voice and he was incredibly angry. So even as I was sitting in the conference room and thinking about walking out there, there was just this fear. Like, I I don't know what I'm going to walk into when I go out there to the lobby. And as I came around the corner, uh, I saw the man that was there and immediately recognized him. He had come and been a part of our worship gathering uh, the week before. And he was a homeless man. And he was in a wheelchair. And he was very, very frustrated and angry. That morning, he had spent the entire morning out at the corner of Baxter and Love during the the morning traffic out there asking for help. And as he came in, he shared with us, nobody helped him. And he was just so frustrated about that. And I'll just kind of edit everything just for the sake of church. Um, But as he began to yell, he just said, look at all this that you have. Look at this building. Look at this fancy, fancy building that you have. And look at me. I've got nothing. And as he's yelling and screaming, there were so many things that were going on inside of me. Like I said, there there was this fear and anxiety because, I mean, this was a situation. This was intense. Didn't know exactly what to do. But yet at the same time, that same heart, there was compassion. I'm looking into the eyes of this man and just thinking, I... I don't know everything about your story. I don't know how you landed where you're at, but my heart was breaking that he was in the situation that he was in. There were lots of other things going on. Honestly, there was defensiveness because we had met him the week before and there were things that we were doing to try to help him. So there was defensiveness, but then there was also guilt. You know, like, God, why do I have all that I have and he doesn't have anything? And as I sat there, just trying to wrestle through just the the turmoil of all these emotions that were going on inside of me, uh, I just had the presence of mind to just to start to pray. There was plenty of time. He was yelling for a long time. And I just said, God, would you just help me see what you want me to see here? God, would you help me see what I need to see in him right now? God, would you help me to see him the way that you see him? And then something kind of interesting happened. He kind of ended his rant. He turned his wheelchair to go out the door. Then he stopped and he spun his wheelchair around again and he looked at us. And with all sincerity, he said, I love you guys. And he turned around and he left. But I was still sitting there thinking, God, how do you want me to see him? God, what are your eyes for him? And friend, that's the quest, friends, that's the question I want us to ask today. Because we see needs in our life all the time. And we need to ask the question, God, what is your heart for the hurting, for the broken, for those that are marginalized, for those that are vulnerable in our culture? God, what is your heart for them? And God, give me your eyes to see. Because we're celebrating Advent over these next four weeks leading up to Christmas. 
And Advent is simply a word that means arrival. It means coming. It means we're waiting for that day that Jesus is coming to be with us. When God became flesh, when Jesus in all of his deity, in great humility, embraced humanity, his royalty embraced poverty. But in this series, as we're reflecting on Advent, we're gonna be asking the question, why? Why did Jesus come? What was his purpose in coming? What was it that he was trying to accomplish? And what does it mean for us? And what does our response need to be? And every week we're gonna be thinking about that. And today we're saying that Jesus came to bring justice. Jesus came to bring justice to this earth. When we say the word justice, we're talking about justice from the biblical sense. This is what it means. Justice means to treat all people equitably. We treat all people equitably. We treat them according to their value and their dignity, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their social standing. The way I think about it is that Jesus came to level the playing field for everybody. Everybody. No one misses out. Jesus came to bring justice. And this justice that we're talking about, this isn't a thing that just showed up with Jesus. This was a theme that God shows us throughout the Old Testament of the Bible. It is on God's heart from beginning to end. And I want us to look at one just simple verse from the prophet Micah, where God's heart is shown succinctly through this one verse in the book of Micah. Micah 6, 8. Here's what the scripture says. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, meaning to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, Micah 6, 8 is just a simple summary of the way that God wants us to live. He's just saying, what I want you to do is I want you to walk humbly with me. Walk beside me in intimate relationship with me, step by step, moment by moment, listening to me and being attentive to the things that are on my heart, that we would pay attention to the things that God pays attention to, the things that he loves, the things that he desires. And you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna start to love the things that God loves. And Micah tells us there's two things. We're gonna do justice and we're gonna love mercy. And when you hear those, it almost sounds like Micah's talking about two different things, but he's not. He's talking about one thing. On the one side, he's talking about doing justice, that we level the playing field for everyone. That's the activity that God wants us to be a part of. But the loving mercy He's simply talking about the heart. What is our heart attitude? What is our motivation for doing the things that he's asking us to do? And Micah says, it's loving mercy. And that word there that Micah uses is a word that means God's hesed love, his covenant love, his unconditional love, his love based in covenant. He said, 
when that takes place in your heart, you're gonna do justice. And what's gonna happen is that we're gonna actively look for ways to level the playing field for all people. Because justice, again, friends, it means that we treat everybody equitably, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their social status. Because equality is rooted in their value and their dignity because they're made by God. That's what it means to do justice. And God loves and defends. Let me say that again. God loves and defends those who have the least economic status and those who have the least social status. And if God loves and defends them, friends, so should we. That's what it means to do justice. Around here, we call it putting radical love in action. So as we celebrate Advent, as we think about this coming of Jesus, this waiting for his coming, is celebrating his coming, his coming to bring justice, we also need to realize that Jesus showed us how to do justice. When we look at his life, he will show us what it means to do justice. Because even if we step back and just do just a minimal survey of the life of Jesus, you see that over and over he is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, but he shows particular interest in those that are poor and those that are marginalized. When he came to this earth, when he incarnated, when deity became humanity, he moved in with the poor and the marginalized. He lived with them, he ate with them, he associated with them. Those that were socially ostracized, those were his peeps. Those were the people that he hung out with. You just think about the stories that you know if you've been around church. Think about that immoral woman that nobody wanted to have around, but she came to him and she broke an alabaster jar and anointed his feet. And with her tears and her hair, washed his feet. The immoral woman, Jesus showed her incredible honor and dignity, invited her in. Jesus continually pushed back against racism in his time. If there was a race that his culture pushed back against, it was the Samaritans. So what did Jesus do? He actually told one of his most famous parables. And you know what he did? He made the Samaritan the hero of the story. You've probably heard that parable, the parable of the good Samaritan. That's exactly right. He was constantly breaking down the walls of racism. But he goes even a step further. There was a time in John chapter four of his life when he engaged with a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. A rabbi in his day would have even had a conversation with any woman, much less a Samaritan woman. But what did Jesus do? He moved toward her and talked with her about life and what it would mean for her to have life. He showed her dignity and respect, breaking down the walls of sexism in his culture. Children, children, low social status, very vulnerable. What was Jesus' attitude toward children? Even when his disciples would say, get away, get away, he doesn't have time for you. What was the heart of Jesus? No, 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 bring them to me. Don't stop them from coming to me. He was about the most vulnerable. 
lepers. Lepers were one of the most outcast, ostracized people. People didn't want to be around them. I don't want to have what they have. Stay outside the city, unclean, unclean. But what did Jesus do? He moved toward them and he healed them. But you know what I love about how he healed them? He could have just spoken from a distance and said, be healed. But he didn't do that. He got right up next to him and he put his hands on them and he healed them. Probably the first human touch that they had experienced in years. Because Jesus said, I am about the vulnerable, I'm about the marginalized. But it wasn't just the poor. He loved the rich that were ostracized as well. One of his favorite group of people were the tax collectors. He hung out with them over and over and over again. People hated them. They were conspiring with the Roman government to extract money from the Jewish culture, unfairly oftentimes, ostracized people. But Jesus said, they're my friends. He invited them into his world and they invited him into theirs and he went. He lived with the poor and the marginalized. Friends, we can't turn the page in this book looking at the life of Jesus without seeing example after example after example. There's just too many to enumerate. Now you would think, with where I started, that this was God's heart from the very beginning. This idea of bringing justice to the earth. You would imagine that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, when they're watching what he's doing, he's doing what Micah 6.8 is talking about. He's bringing justice out of loving compassion for people. You'd think they would have made him a hero. Just got him up on their shoulders and carried him around and said, he's living out what God wants us to live out. He's our hero. That's not what they did. In fact, it was Jesus' willingness to associate with the marginalized and the vulnerable that caused the most trouble between him and the religious leaders of his day. They didn't understand what he was trying to do. They completely missed God's heart to bring justice to this world. And as I've been reflecting on that, it's easy to, to stand here in the 21st century looking back and just saying, how could they miss it? How can religious people miss it? I want me and I want you, I want us to be humble enough to ask the question of God, are we missing it? Have we missed it? In any way, God, am I seeing the world around me, God, the way that you want me to see the world? Do we have the heart of Jesus for the marginalized and the vulnerable? We're gonna look at a encounter that Jesus has with these religious leaders and he tells a parable and he teaches them some things because he wants them to understand if, if you're gonna have my heart for the vulnerable in this world, there's two things that have to be resident in your life. One of those is humility. There's gotta be a humility happening in your heart and there's gotta be an action that you take and that action is hospitality. He's gonna teach us about humility and hospitality. Luke chapter 14, verse seven. This is what he told to the religious leaders. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he said to them, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, 
do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you, will say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, Jesus said, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all those other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see what Jesus does here? He uses a simple seating arrangement at a party to help us understand what needs to be taking place in our heart around humility. If you can imagine the scene, there would have been a head table up here and two tables running down the sides, making kind of a a U shape with the tables. And right at the head here would be the host. And the seats of honor would be right beside the host. He got his bestie over here and his BFF right here. These are the places of honor. And relationally, the rest of the seats went like this. Important, less important, less important, less important, less important, less important. Till the very end, the least important. So here's what Jesus is saying. What he's saying to these religious leaders. He's saying, when you come to a party... And today in the 21st century, what he'd be saying to us is, when you walk into life, when you are around people, don't pick the seat of honor. Don't walk into a room and try to figure out, where are you in the pecking order? You know, she's the popular and pretty one. I'm not, I'm I'm below her, but he's the awkward one. I've got to be ahead of him. Don't walk into a room and try to figure those things out. He says, walk into a room and see people, see people for who they really are, appreciate people for who they really are. And this is what he says to do, in humility, give preference to them. Because you see them, you see who they really are, you're willing to actually show preference to them and to elevate others, promote others beyond yourself. And what Jesus is saying, if we don't have that kind of heart, we're never going to be able to catch his heart for justice. Because if we walk through life and we really think, I'm better than them. I'm more deserving than them. I'm where I am because I've worked harder, I've made better decisions, And they haven't worked as hard. They haven't made as good as... They deserve to be where they're at. If that is our heart, we will never share God's heart for justice. We've got to have a humble heart that sees the value in everyone and even wants to and is willing to promote them, give them the better seat in life. That's the heart of humility that Jesus asks us to have. But he says more. It's more than just that. It's not just having a humble heart. There's an action that needs to take place in showing justice as well. We need 
to learn hospitality. We need to have a humble heart, but we need to learn hospitality. Here's how Jesus explains this as we continue in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus paints this picture of his kingdom. The fulfillment of his kingdom is this picture of a party, this picture of a feast where everyone is there together and the playing field is level, absolutely level. And this is what he's saying. In life, we want to bring that kingdom to this earth where there is a level playing field. Whereas we think about who are we gonna invite into our life? Who are we gonna invite to the party? We're not just thinking about those people that have it together financially, that have it together socially, that if we get in with them, they can actually promote us. Jesus is saying, don't show preference to them. Actually, show preference to those that can do nothing for you. That's what hospitality is. So many times I think when we think about hospitality, we think Martha Stewart. We think we've got to have these elaborate affairs that we invite people into. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he's trying to teach us about hospitality. I love the definition of gospel hospitality that I heard from Tim Keller. He says, gospel hospitality is welcoming people into your life, into your home, into your living space, and learning how to treat strangers like family. Hospitality is inviting people into your home. And I want us to think just, what does the home represent for us? In the best case, our home represents a place of rest, a place for us to unwind, a place for us to recharge, a place that we will experience love, a place that we'll experience belonging. And literally and figuratively, figuratively, it's a place where we will experience shelter from the storms of life. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, show that kind of hospitality to people. And in addition to that, it's treating strangers like family. What does it mean to bring to treat strangers like family. Bringing people into your life, into your inner circle, into your circle of friendship. Who? Who in your life? Who are the strangers? Who are the needy that Jesus is talking about? Here's what I think happens oftentimes when we talk about topics like this, when we think about needy, when we think about strangers. We think about those people maybe that are standing on the street corner and they're boldly declaring their need. They're holding up a sign and saying, this is what I need. 
This is what I need from you. Please help. God bless you. Who are these people in your life? Who are these people that have need around you? It's way more. I want to expand our vision for what we think about when we think about the needy among us. And I want to be so bold as to say, we have needy among us in this room. I don't think that they would be so bold as to make a sign and come in here and say, I need this. But there are needs in this room. There are people that have financial needs in this room that are overwhelming them. They don't know how they're going to get through to the next paycheck. There are people in this room that have physical needs, that there's brokenness in their body, that they need someone to get over them and pray with them and for them, asking God to break in and heal them. There are people in this room that have emotional needs, where they just need someone to get their arm around them and say, I love you. It's gonna be okay. You are valuable to God and you're valuable to me. There are relational needs in this room. There are people that the greatest thing in their life right now is loneliness. They feel complete isolation from people. Nobody really knows me. Nobody really knows what's going on underneath the surface in my life. And I promise you, friends, there are spiritual needs in this room. People that just think, I hear them talking about God and how close they can be with him, but God feels a million miles away to me. I need help. Would someone help me? Would someone show me how I can have that kind of a relationship with God? There are needs everywhere, just in this room. But here's the deal, friends. We don't see those needs until we practice hospitality, until we bring people into our lives in a way where we can know them, where we can know their name, where we can know their story, where we can know their needs. And it's only then that we'll even have the possibility of being able to meet their need. Friends, that's just in this room. There are lots of people that you have influence and opportunity in their life, your neighbors, people that live next to you, people that you work with, people that you go to school with. Do you know their name? Do you even know their name? Do you know their story? Do you know the things that keep them up at night, that break their heart? We don't know what those things are until we take the opportunity to practice hospitality and to invite people into our life and into our world. And it takes time and it takes money and it takes energy. But that's what Jesus is asking us to do. See the needs of people. We need to see people. We need to see the needs of people the way that he sees the needs of people. I wanna say something. I'm gonna say it just black and white, and I think this is true. No heart that loves Christ can be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. I don't think it's possible for us to love Christ, to truly know Christ, and to just turn a complete blind eye, a cold heart, to the needs around us. Because friends, that wasn't who Jesus was. His life and his ministry and his teaching, Jesus tells us over and over, I move toward those people. Why? Why did he move toward? What was the motivation? 
And what needs to be our motivation? The first motivation is Jesus said, I made them. I made them. They belong to me. Every person that you're ever gonna lay eyes on in this whole world has the image of God stamped on their life. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. And because the image of God is stamped on every person that you're ever gonna see, it doesn't matter how broken they are, how lost they are, how lonely they are, how needy they are, Jesus is saying, I made them. And because of that, Jesus would say to us, every person matters. Every single one matters. Every person is valuable. Every person deserves dignity. He would say there is no such thing on this planet as just an ordinary person. And when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we say that he personally identified with them. He moved his life toward them because he so identified with them. You know what else gives us the power to have compassion for people that are marginalized and vulnerable? Is that those that truly know Jesus, that have experienced a saving work of Jesus in their life, know exactly what it's like to feel the humility of God extended toward them and the hospitality of God extended toward them. When we celebrate the incarnation throughout Advent, what we're saying is deity became humanity. Royalty became poverty. The God of the universe came to this earth. Why? So that he could grab us. He came to that humble place. Not only, not only did he grab a hold of humanity and poverty, he grabbed a hold of death. He gave his life for us. The ultimate, the ultimate became the lowest for us. The ultimate in humility in our place. But it wasn't just his humility. It was his hospitality. He didn't just die for us. He invited us in. He said, I am welcoming you to the inner circle. Stranger. You're a stranger, but you're going to become family. You're going to become my son. You're going to become my daughter. And friends, when we get that, when we really understand the magnitude of what Jesus did for us in his humility and in his hospitality to bring us into a relationship with him and to invite us to be part of a family, it changes us forever. And it changes the way that we look at others. When we've experienced that, it makes us want to give that to others. We want to give away what God has given to us. Friends, we've been talking about this Advent conspiracy, this giving campaign to raise resources, to partner with people and organizations that we believe are doing the things that Jesus would do if he was here, to move toward the vulnerable around us. Like Bring Love In over in Ethiopia that pairs widows and orphans in forever families that changes their lives forever. We think Jesus would do that. The warming center here in our own town that just wants to provide a warm place for people to sleep on a cold Bozeman night. We think Jesus would do that. Deliver Fund, who's thinking about how do we go after human sex trafficking in a way that breaks up those networks, uses intelligence to be able to break up those networks so that girls, even little girls, aren't sold into slavery in our own country 
We believe that Jesus would do that. The food bank in our town that wants to just meet the basic nutritional needs of people in our valley. We think that Jesus cares about that. Family promise that thinks about family homelessness. Families that have kids that don't have a place to stay and need a place to stay. We think that Jesus cares about that. You heard about Love, Inc. Needs from A to Z that they're a part of. Cedars Network. That friends of ours that are over there that are thinking about how do we help Syrian refugees get a new start in life and new hope in life. Childbridge, who's trying to get around people and the kids in the foster care system. We look at all these things, friends, and we think Jesus would be about that. So I wanna thank you in advance for the things that we're gonna do around here to help support those things that matter in our valley and around the world. But I've just gotta say, as we wrap up here, I wanna make it a little bit more personal. What is it for you? What does God want you to see? As you walk through this world, as you encounter needs, what is it that God wants you to see? What is the cardboard sign that God is holding up in the life of a person around you where there's a need that you're saying in your own heart of hearts, I can meet that need. I can be a part of helping that person. What is that need for you? What is the opportunity that you have to level the playing field for someone? Here's a little bit of my fear. Because I know what it's like to walk out of rooms like this. We've been talking about this. And you start to say, God, open my eyes. And you're going to look out there and you're going to see that the needs are overwhelming. God, how can we possibly meet all the needs that are out there? This is what I want to ask you to do. Is just ask God, what is the one need that's in front of me? What is the one thing that I can do? It doesn't even have to be huge. What is the one thing that I can do to level the playing field? This is what I want you to remember. Just think, I want to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. Just do for one. See a need, meet a need, repeat. See a need, meet a need, repeat. And friends, what's gonna happen? I'll tell you what's gonna happen. It's gonna change you, first and foremost. But as God's people become God's people and do what it is that God is asking us to do in terms of having his heart, it's gonna change our valley as well. Here's the assignment I want to give you over the next three minutes. Brandon's going to come up and he's going to sing a song that I love, a Charlie Hall song about Micah 6-8 that we talked about. I want you to, during that song, don't just listen to the words of the song. I want you to engage with God. Just say, God, what is the need around me that you've positioned for me to meet? And this is what I want you to do. When God brings that to your mind, I don't want you to end today without speaking that out to someone. Maybe it's someone that you came here with. Just say, this is what God said to me. This is the need that I'm going to meet. See a need, meet a need, repeat.
could free the whole world from the crumbs of old bread. Spread the good news through dreams and stones. With the breath of your winds, you could raise up the dead. But you ask us to go. Help us love mercy. And help us do justly. Help us walk humbly with you, God. Forget not the widow, the orphan and slave. God, please remember the helpless today. Call on your children, repairing the breach. There's no place too far that your mercy can reach. Help us love mercy and help us do justly and help us walk humbly with you, God. Help us love mercy justly and help us walk humbly with you God God we just want to humble ourselves before you. And we just want to say, God, we, we just want to see what you want us to see. We want to meet the needs that you want us to meet. God, we know that you're not a God that's trying to leverage guilt into our life. You just want us to have your heart. God, would you give us your heart? Would you show us how to do justice everywhere where we go out of a heart of compassion? God, we love you. And we just want to say, yes, we're available to you to be your hands and feet in our valley and around the world. We want to put your radical love in action and bring justice, Jesus, just like you did when you came. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.